You're listening to audio from Calvary Baptist Church of Port Austin. If you'd like to check out more resources or learn more about us, please visit cbcportaustin.org. I'll never forget the first time I went to Sam's Club. Uh, My grandparents bought our family a membership, and I remember being so proud when they kind of checked you at the door, if you've ever been to Sam's Club, and they're like, okay, we need, you know, your membership card, and and little 10-year-old me was like, that's right, lady, we're members, as my dad pulled out the card, right? And um, I remember walking in and just being blown away. Um, that, I mean, this place was amazing. Who's been to Sam's Club? And you know, you know what I'm talking about. Um, some of you are like, it's not that cool. But it was for me, okay? Um, the cereal boxes were bigger than me. Um, the toilet paper aisle alone was enough to entertain us for hours. Um, and on top of that, there were free food samples everywhere. And I was making the rounds, you know, turning my shirt backwards, coming again. No, I'm just kidding. But... This was an exclusive club, Sam's Club, right? We even saw Sam walking down. No, I'm just kidding. That that didn't happen. But, I mean, this was this exclusive club, and we were members of the club, man. It was awesome. And, and, And unfortunately, though, many of us, because of clubs like that that exist in our culture, many of us look at church membership this way. I think pay your dues, and you get some perks, right? You get to vote and stuff. I don't really know what the perks are, but you're a member, right? Like, we, we look at it like it's a membership in a club, um, when, when we look at the scriptures, that's the farthest thing from what church membership actually is. Another view of church membership is like fans at a football game. I know it's football season, and a lot of you are excited and, and watching the clock and making sure I end on time so you can get back, right? And, and, and we think of sometimes, we think of church and church membership as, as like we're the fans, and we come together once a week, and we cheer on Jesus, and then we go our separate ways. Um, But again, this is just not what the Bible um, portrays for us when we look at community, when we look at church membership. If we stick with the football illustration for a minute, we're not the fans in the stands, we're the players on the field. The fans are loosely affiliated, right? Um, the, the, The players, though, on the field, they've banded together in partnership with their team, and they are willing to do whatever it takes, blood, sweat, tears, to win that championship if they're good players, Um, But in the church, the stakes are much higher because we're not playing a game. This is eternity we're talking about. This is a mission from Almighty God that he's given to accomplish, us to accomplish here in Port Austin. David Mathis puts it this way. This is an all-in, life-or-death, collective venture in the face of great evil and overwhelming opposition. I talk to pastor friends a lot about some of the struggles that we faced up here in Port Austin just in the last five years. And, and he's, many pastors have, have echoed this, that, that you are facing like spiritual warfare um, in ways that I haven't seen um, in a lot of ways in my church because you're, you're taking new ground for the enemy, right? Like we're planting a new church. Like this church, again, we talk about it. Other churches have met here and, and, and it's been a battle to try to get a church established here. And so this is a tough place to build, but this is where we need to be in this together, right? To be in this together as the local expression of Christ's body, to bring Christ to this place and beyond. Today we're wrapping up our series on the church and we're going to discuss the members of the church. And I want to ask three questions about church membership. Is church membership in the Bible? Secondly, if so, what is church membership? And third, what does church membership look like? And so let's look at that first question, which um, you already know how I'm going to answer. Is church membership in the Bible? Now, I have to say you won't find a verse in the Bible that says thou shalt join a church. However, you also won't find a Christian in the Bible that's not connected in some way to a local church. 
Um, the, the only one I can think of is the Ethiopian eunuch, um, who it was, a, it was a foreign mission, and then he went and was part of a church based on history. And so, so you just really can't find a Christian um, in the New Testament that's not part of a church. There, there just wasn't even a category for that. And so there's really no way to understand um, large concepts, large chunks of the Bible without the idea of church membership. Let me give you a few examples, though, from the scriptures, if you want to write these down. The first one will be Matthew 18. We've looked at this in this series. But in the round of instructions for reconciliation, um, Jesus says this in Matthew 18, 17. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. Now, this command simply could not be followed if there was not a clear understanding of who was the church and who wasn't. Who do I tell this to? Which church do I tell this to? Who is the church? Is there, is there a church? In the book of Acts, we, were, uh, we see the early church keeping record of those who were being added to the church. In Acts 2.41, it says there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So they're keeping records. They're keeping track. Sometimes we think, oh, they were just kind of just loosely hanging out in houses and stuff and eating bread. But it's like, no, they're like keeping track of stuff. In 1 Corinthians 5, the Apostle Paul is shocked that a Corinthian church has allowed someone to stay a member when he is in grievous sin. I mean, this text just screams membership. Listen to this. He says, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among the pagans. I love how passionate Paul gets about stuff. He's like, what are you doing? Right? He says, a man has his father's wife. What in the world? And he says, and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn than listen to this? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. So here Paul calls out this man's sin and tells the church to act swiftly in removing him. This clearly implies that there was an understanding of who was in and who wasn't. What do you remove him from if there's no concept or idea of church membership? You can't. You can't remove someone from something that doesn't exist. Later in chapter 12 of the same letter, Paul writes, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. Then in verse 27 he says, Now you are the body of Christ. You, this local expression in Corinth, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Then in 1 Timothy 5, Paul is instructing Timothy on how to care for widows in the church. And he says, Let a widow be enrolled. And then he lists out all these qualifications. Then he says, but refuse to enroll younger widows. And then he lists out the reasons why. To enroll a widow in a ministry like this would require some sort of record keeping. Um, And along with this, it's clear that Paul is talking about those widows within the church. He doesn't have the responsibility to to help all the widows in the Roman Empire at the time. There, There had to be boundaries for this type of thing to happen. Boundaries within a local church. Paul was telling Timothy to do this. And Timothy would have to have some sort of knowledge, again, who was in and who wasn't. Later on in Hebrews 13, verse 7, we read this earlier. The church is told, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And just a side note, you can't do that with a YouTube preacher, right? You just can't. We can't do this with online preachers. You can't consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. You don't even know these people. Then in verse 17 of the same chapter, the author says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. I tremble at this verse. But this is why membership is so important. If you're not a member of a church, which leaders are you supposed to remember? And which ones are you supposed to obey? And again, as I said last week, you obey them with their authority from the word. If they're outside this authority, you don't obey them. You get rid of them. 
And there's a lot of abusive church leaders today that need to be called out for that. All right. But who do you obey if, if you're not a member of a local church? Which leaders? Just any pastor who comes along? And, and how will the leaders know? This is, this is where I get really, really nervous. How will I know who I'm going to give an account for? It's just like a loose group that comes and goes when they want. I don't want to stand before God and give an account for you when you're here once a quarter. And, and I'm not talking about any of you specifically. I'm just saying, I need to know, like, who am I giving an account for? Like, who do I need to minister the word to and pray for their soul week in and week out? Like, who do I give an account to my Lord for? I take that very seriously. And so that's why membership is important. Again, um, you just have to see this as a principle all throughout. But let's look at Peter's epistle. One more thing in, in Peter's epistle, 1 Peter 5. He says this to the elders, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. How would they know who this was without some sort of idea of who was the flock of God among them? These are just a few examples. And I honestly could fill the entire sermon with examples like this. And the reason I'm passionate about this is because I take it very seriously. And there's this idea that church, again, it's just this kind of thing. You come and you hang out and you go and you just live your individual life. And, and we're all just kind of together. But we don't really know each other. And there's no commitment. And there's, and there's no really, really like mission on mission together. And, and that's just not what I want here for us. Because it's not what I see in the Bible. The fact of the matter is, examples of church membership are all over the New Testament. You add to that the dozens of communal commands... That would be impossible to fulfill apart from some idea of church membership. And the conclusion is quite clear. Membership is in the Bible. It's all over the Bible. So that brings us to our next question. What exactly is church membership? Okay, what is church membership? You may remember that in week two of the series, I argued from Matthew 16 and 18 on that the church is an embassy of the kingdom of heaven. Right? And so this means that the church is a body of believers who gather as representatives for Christ and his kingdom. And, and if you remember, I, I kind of said, picture this, okay? You've got heaven, and then you've got earth. And you've got God in heaven putting embassies all over the world to represent him in this world. And I said, imagine all the little churches are little lights in the dark world that are embassies meant to represent the kingdom of heaven. What an awesome reality. Right? It's so cool when I visit other faithful churches and I say, welcome to this local outpost of the kingdom. We're all in this together. We're not competing um, with other faithful biblical churches. Right? We're on the same page. It's awesome. We're on the same team. We're part of a kingdom that's much bigger than us. And so we are an embassy of the kingdom of heaven. Now, that means we seek to advance the mission of our king, which is to spread a passion for his glory. This means we regularly gather to conduct the business of our king, and that's every Sunday morning. We operate under the delegated authority of the king, which is the written word of God. We affirm and oversee one another's membership in the kingdom through baptism and the Lord's Supper. Baptism, as I've said, is the door into membership, and the Lord's Supper is a boundary around it. In summary, when you step foot into this assembly today, you step foot into an embassy of heaven. Here we bow before King Jesus as our Lord and Savior. He's the king here. Isn't that awesome? He's the king everywhere. But here, we, we acknowledge with our mouths, Jesus is Lord. He is our sovereign. We submit to his laws as given in his word. And by his grace, we attempt to reflect his character in the lives that we lived. All of this is why one pastor defined a church member as a card-carrying citizen of heaven who represents Jesus. I like that definition. You're a card-carrying citizen of heaven who represents Jesus. That's what a church member is. A church member is a believer in Christ who has been authorized to represent Christ by their admission into a local assembly of heaven through 
baptism. And if you're like, ah, what, you know, go back to my message um, on the definition of a church and, and listen through that. And I walk through very carefully Matthew 16 and 18 um, to show that this is the case. The keys of the kingdom of heaven were given um, to the church for this purpose. The church hears the believer's testimony of repentance and faith in Christ alone for salvation and then affirms that testimony by baptizing them. That's the affirmation. So again, it's we affirm, we oversee it. We don't make people citizens of heaven. We don't have that ability. God does that. Um, it'd be similar to as if you went into an embassy in a foreign country to renew your passport. Um, they would check and make sure that you're a, a, you're a member of that country. They wouldn't, they wouldn't um, make that happen for you, right? You'd have to go through the actual steps to make that happen. So in summary, a church member is an authorized Jesus representative. And church membership is believers banding together as a local assembly of heaven to represent Christ in this place and advance his kingdom in this place. How cool is that? Now, we have a public gathering every Sunday. This is it. And everybody is invited to that. And I mean everybody. People of all walks of lives and backgrounds and beliefs. And you can bring your struggles and your burdens in this place. We want to be a hospital for sinners in this area. Everybody is welcome to this gathering. Invite your friends. Invite your family. And every week that they come, I'm going to tell them Jesus died for your sins and rose again. And you can be saved if you'll repent and believe in him. I'm going to invite people into that. But, but the membership, the doors into membership in this church are smaller. It's only those who are believers, only those who have repented and believed in Jesus alone for salvation, only those who have been baptized as a public profession of that faith. And so, so this is really key to understand. Now, what does this mean for non-church members who believe the gospel? Well, this is difficult because this type of situation doesn't really exist in the Bible. You just don't really see it. So at best, this person will be a genuine believer who is missing out on the God-ordained activities and privileges of membership. That's the best situation. But at worst, this person thinks they're a genuine believer, but since no one else has affirmed this in their life, they're living in delusion. It would be like those people who get on American Idol and, and they start singing and you're like, oh man, like who told you you should come sing here for this? Like who told you that, that you were a singer, right? Nobody told them. They were singing in their room in front of the mirror and they thought they were a singer. And, and I just fear, I wonder, because of our individualism in America, I wonder how many people are like, yeah, I'm a Christian because I believe something once. And no one else has ever affirmed that. No one else has ever been part of that and, and, and walked them through it and, and made sure they understand rightly. We can't trust ourselves. Our hearts are deceitful and desperately wicked. Not a good place to trust. And so we need brothers and sisters who affirm us. I have Josh in my life who calls me out when I'm not living like a citizen of, of heaven. We need that in our lives. And so... Um, what is church membership? Well, it's an authorized Jesus representative banding together with other members in that local assembly of Christ's kingdom. And I love that. And if you're interested in becoming a member of Christ's kingdom today, again, I want to invite you, step one, believe the gospel. The Bible says that God made you. He created you for his glory, and yet you rebelled against him, and you rebel every single day of your life. Right? I always say this, that you can't even keep your own standards, let alone God's. And you know that. I'm not here to beat you over the Bible. I can't keep his standards. We all fall short of the glory of God. But in an act of unparalleled love, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live the life you could never live. Jesus fulfilled the law, obeyed it perfectly on our behalf, went to the cross, took your sin upon himself, absorbed the wrath that you deserved, died for your sins, rose again triumphantly. And if you will turn from your sins and trust in Jesus Christ, 
you can be saved. And that's step one, welcome to the kingdom. It's awesome. If you have questions about that, please see me after the service or Josh or someone else that you trust. So we've looked at two questions so far. Um, One, is church membership in the Bible? I said yes. And two, what is church membership? And so let's look thirdly um, at what does church membership look like? A pastor friend of mine once told me that church membership is like the difference between a cruise ship and a battleship. How many of you have been on a cruise before? Okay, quick poll. Man, I need, to, I need to get on this, right? Like, um, okay, so you understand better than me. Um, it is on our list eventually to try to, try to make that happen. But um, I'm told it's pretty luxurious, okay? Um, everyone on staff with the cruise line is there for you, right? You paid the money, and so they're there for you. They pamper you. They cook all your meals. They provide entertainment and basically take care of everything you need while you're on the cruise. And a lot of people look at church membership like a cruise ship. They shop around till they find the best one. Okay, this one, the preacher isn't not too long. Okay, check. Um, coffee shop in the library or lobby, check. Yep. Um, a water slide for my kids, bonus. Awesome, cool. Um, a small group with people my age, great. Okay. A left handed bowling league, just for me. Wow, awesome, right? Like, they've got everything. And so you go to this church and you expect this church to just feed you and pamper you and help you and meet your needs. And it's all about you, it's consumerism which is shoved in your face every day with every single commercial and every single ad. And we come into this as a bunch of consumers wanting the church to meet our spiritual needs, to provide us with spiritual goods and services, and then we go our way to do our own thing. That's simply not what church membership is. It's not what biblical community is. It's not what being a Christian is. We're not consumers. We're not passive. We're contributors. We're members. And so that brings me to the battleship. This is not a cruise ship. This is a battleship. Okay, how many of you have been on a battleship? All right, yes, have a few, okay? How many of you have served on a battleship? Let's narrow that down a little bit. Sorry, Keith, no, I'm just kidding. Okay, so, okay, so you guys know, like if you go on a battleship for a, as a tourist, you know, it's not gonna be the same, but you know um, that, yes, on a battleship, people are still looking out for you, and you're looking out for them. And they're gonna bring more than fresh towels to you when you need them, they're gonna go to war with you and get your back, right? You know that on a cruise ship, everybody, or on a, on a battleship, everybody has a job to do. You're not just cruising along for your enjoyment. You're there. You're on mission. You have a mission to accomplish. And it's life or death. It's serious. And everybody, again, everybody has something to contribute on that battleship. That's what church membership is. We're on a mission. Everyone on the ship has a job to do to advance the mission. God brought you here for a reason. Do you understand that? You understand how cool that is? That God brought you here for a reason, that everyone here has a job to do, that all of us have gifts, um, or, or one gift maybe, but all of us have gifts that can help advance the mission, that you are essential to this local expression of Christ's kingdom. Do you understand what an awesome reality that is? That he has good works prepared for you that he prepared before the foundation of the world. Ephesians 2.10. That's incredible. And so we are not a cruise ship. We are a battleship. And we need to understand that. If you had to summarize the duties of church members, you really just have to summarize the duties of Christians, right? Because again, in the Bible, there's just really no such thing as a Christian who's not part of a church. You just don't see it. And so the commands of Christians are the commands of church members. We summarize some of these duties in our church constitution um, by stating that members are expected to participate in the life of this local church by regularly gathering on the Lord's Day, Faithfully observing its ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper, 
submitting to its discipline and instruction, attending members' meetings, voting on matters submitted to the congregation at meetings, and contributing to the ministry of the church with consistent gifts, time, and resources that you've received from God. Along with this, we have what's called a church covenant. And this document summarizes how God intends for us to live together as citizens of his kingdom. And it follows the practices of believers throughout the centuries who have done this. They have pledged to God and one another to live the gospel out in that local area. The covenant begins like this, having been brought by God's grace to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and to affirm one another as citizens of his kingdom through baptism and the Lord's Supper. We now, relying on his gracious aid, solemnly and joyfully affirm our covenant with each other. And listen to this line. It's about halfway down. We will walk together in love as members of Christ's body, caring for each other, watching over each other, encouraging and admonishing one another as occasion requires. We will not forsake the church's gatherings and we will faithfully pray for one another. We will rejoice at each other's happiness and bear each other's burdens and sorrows. That's a little picture of what it looks like when a church obeys biblical church community and membership. I'm always talking about the one another's in scripture. You saw several of them in that line. And there's so many of them. I have a list of 20 in front of me. I'm not going to read all of them. Um, I'll just sample some of them. But, but listen to some of these. Love one another. Live in harmony with one another. Care for one another. Serve one another. Bear one another's burdens. Be patient with one another. Be kind to one another. Forgive one another. Listen to this one. Regard one another as more important than yourselves. Wouldn't that be awesome if local churches obeyed that? Speak the truth to one another. Pray for one another. Be humble toward one another. There's all over the Bible these one another commands. Well, what does that imply? Again, church membership. It implies that you're with other Christians. You're with other believers regularly so that you can obey these commands. That you've committed to a beautiful, messy community called the local church. Now, as we kind of land the plane here today, we kind of get towards the end, I want to address something. Um, because the, the reality is, for some of you, I just painted a picture of commitment that is very scary. Especially in our culture today. We're told to follow our dreams wherever they take us to not worry about anyone but ourselves, that commitment is restrictive and limiting, and that we were made to be free. That's the kind of song of our culture, right? But I just told you to commit to a local church, like, to submit to it in some way, to affirm one another's membership in the kingdom of heaven, like to, to come every week to its gatherings and, and gather and, and obey these one another's. Like that's, oh, I don't really like that, right? As an American. And by the way, and other, other countries, um, persecuted countries, you don't have to preach a message like this. Because by going on Sunday, they're risking their life. Do you understand that? By becoming a member of a church, they may be putting their name on a hit list for the government to kill. They don't take this like, flippantly like we do. This is, this is life or death for them. Okay, but, but side note, for you in America, I understand. This can be like, oh, that flies against the grain of everything that I've grown up with. And, and, but, but, but as we kind of wrap this up, I want you to think for a minute how beautiful commitment is, how beautiful boundaries are, how beautiful restrictions are. You're like, what? What are you talking about? Listen to this. When I married Shannon, I committed myself to her. That was a very restrictive and limiting decision for me. I now have an exclusive relationship with Shannon that I'll never have with anyone else. I cut off all my options for the rest of my life when I stood before that, that people and said, I will be hers forever. But those of you who have experienced the joys of marriage understand me when I say this was the best decision of my life. 
That's a joy to limit myself for her, to restrict myself for her, to be in an exclusive relationship with her where we share our lives together. That's a beautiful thing that you just can't happen with these surface level relationships that we live with in our culture today. And so isn't this the same thing with any other meaningful relationship? Pastor Bob Johnson, he's one of my mentors and he pastors down in Roseville and he, he argued it this way. He said, think about this. Doctors are responsible for their clients or for their patients. Attorneys are responsible for their clients. Police officers are responsible for their jurisdiction. Teachers are responsible for their classrooms. Parents are responsible for their children. And if you take any of the boundaries away from any of those examples, things fall apart. A doctor who tries to be a doctor for everyone can't care well for his patients. In a similar way, as a local church pastor, I am called before God to take care of this local assembly. And I take that very seriously. The members in a church provide these beautiful boundaries where we can get in and it is messy and it is hard at times and it is difficult and there aren't all, all highs. There's some lows involved there. That's relationships, right? People, people often joke um, that, yeah, I love the ministry. It's just the people that makes it difficult. <laughs> That's the ministry, right? And, and so, so what I'm trying to get here is I'm trying to tell you that this is beautiful. Is it scary? Absolutely. Is it restricting? Yes, it's meant to be for your soul. We were made to have roots. We were made to have deep relationships that we walk in good times and bad with. But it's beautiful and it's glorious. And if we're really going to be members of Christ's body, that's a pretty intimate relationship. And it's meant to show the world, what did Jesus say? If, if they see your love for one another as members of a local body, as members of a local family of Christ, as, as members, citizens of the kingdom of heaven in that local assembly, when they see that love, they know that you're my disciples. After illustrating this with these examples, Pastor Bob really gets to the heart of it when he said this. Many people want about $3 worth of Jesus. You know, enough to get out of hell, enough to have a friend to help you out when you need a hand, enough to feel good about yourself at Christmas and Easter, enough to pull a string or two when you need a job or are facing a test result, enough to keep your kid from doing dumb stuff, but not enough to actually make any demands on your life. Not enough to be inconvenienced for. Not enough to actually care that much about others or, or to take to heart the fact that people are really dying without hope because they do not know the gospel. And so they play it cool, a little detached, never committed. You don't have to love anyone when you do that except yourself. But here's the thing. If you only want $3 worth of Jesus, you don't understand Jesus and you don't understand the gospel. Jesus did not give $3 worth of himself. He gave his life. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my soul, my all. And so here's my challenge for us. Let's not be a church that only wants $3 worth of Jesus. Right? Let's be a church that wants all of him. Right? This, the, the creator of the world, the savior of our souls. Let's be a church that lays down our lives for one another because Christ laid down his life for us. Let's be a church that bands together in the face of great evil and overwhelming opposition to spread a passion for the glory of Jesus in Port Austin and beyond. This is what it's all about. Life is short. Eternity is forever. And I don't want to waste my time and I don't want to waste your time. We are here for a mission. A mission from God. And I want us to be serious about this. I want us to give our lives to this. I want us to do what God has called us to do here. But if we're going to do that, it's going to require 
commitment. And so I pray that by God's grace, you'll decide, I want to be part of that. I want to give my life to this. I want to commit to this messy bunch of disciples here in Port Austin, and I want to spread a passion for Jesus here. That's something that when you stand before him one day, you're not going to regret. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, thank you for the glorious teaching in your word on the church, Lord, that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God is displayed to the cosmos. God, it's incredible to think about. When we look around today, it's pretty ordinary. It's pretty normal. But what we see in your word is it's glorious and angels are leaning over, looking in, and they're longing to understand these glorious realities that are the church. Lord, would you shake us today with the reality that Jesus gave his life for the church? Or would you make that in our culture of individualism and consumerism, would you make this so real to us that you gave your life for this church? That you walk in the midst of this church. You've given a mission for us to accomplish in this church. And Lord, would you call those who are truly committed to take membership seriously for the good of their souls and for the glory of Jesus. We love you, Lord. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.